Welcome to Emily Rose Meditations. I'm your host, Emily, and today we'll be sitting with Chapter 5 of Book 2 of The Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. So find a comfortable seat, take a deep breath, and make your heart ready to receive these words. This dark night is an inflowing of God into the soul which purges it from ignorances and imperfections, habitual, natural, and spiritual, and which is called by contemplatives infused contemplation, or mystical theology. Herein, God secretly teaches the soul and instructs it in perfection of love, without its doing anything or understanding of what manner is this infused contemplation. Inasmuch as it is the loving wisdom of God, God produces striking effects in the soul. For by purging and illumining it, he prepares it for the union of love with God. Wherefore, the same loving wisdom that purges the blessed spirits and enlightens them is that which here purges the soul and illumines it. But the question arises, why is the divine light, which, as we say, illumines and purges the soul from its ignorances, here called by the soul a dark night? To this, the answer is that for two reasons, this divine wisdom is not only night and darkness for the soul, but is likewise affliction and torment. The first is because of the height of divine wisdom, which transcends the talent of the soul, and in this way is darkness to it. The second, because of its vileness and impurity, in which respect it is painful and afflictive to it, and is also dark. In order to prove the first point, we must here assume a certain doctrine of the philosopher which says that the clearer and more manifest are divine things in themselves, the darker and more hidden are they to the soul naturally. Just as the clearer is the light, the more it blinds and darkens the pupil of the owl. And the more directly we look at the sun, the greater is the darkness which it causes in our visual faculty overcoming and overwhelming it through its own weakness. In the same way, when this divine light of contemplation assails the soul, which is not yet wholly enlightened, it causes spiritual darkness in it. For not only does it overcome it, but likewise it overwhelms it and darkens the act of its natural intelligence. For this reason, St. Dionysus and other mystical theologians call this infused contemplation a ray of darkness, that is to say, for the soul that is not enlightened and purged, for the natural strength of the intellect is transcended and overwhelmed by its great supernatural light. Wherefore, David likewise said, that near to God and round about him, our darkness and cloud. Not that this is so in fact, but that it is so to our weak understanding, 
which is blinded and darkened by so vast a light, to which it cannot attain. For this cause, the same David then explained himself, saying, Through the great splendor of his presence past clouds, that is, between God and our understanding. And it is for this cause that, when God sends it out from himself to the soul that is not yet transformed, this illumining ray of his secret wisdom causes thick darkness in the understanding. And it is clear that this dark contemplation is in these beginnings painful, likewise, to the soul. For as this divine infused contemplation has many excellencies that are extremely good, and the soul that receives them, not being purged, has many miseries that are likewise extremely bad, hence it follows that, as two contraries cannot coexist in one subject, the soul, it must of necessity have pain and suffering, since it is the subject wherein these two contraries war against each other, working the one against the other, by reason of the purgation of the imperfections of the soul, which comes to pass through his contemplation. This we shall prove inductively in the manner following. In the first place, because of the light and wisdom of this contemplation that is most bright and pure, and the soul which it assails is dark and impure, it follows that the soul suffers great pain when it receives it in itself, just as when the eyes are dimmed by humors and become impure and weak, the assault made upon them by a bright light causes them pain. And when the soul suffers the direct assault of this divine light, its pain, which results from its impurity, is immense. Because when this pure light assails the soul in order to expel its impurity, the soul feels itself to be so impure and miserable that it believes God to be against it and thinks that it has set itself up against God. This causes it some sore grief and pain because it now believes that God has cast it away. This was one of the greatest trials which Job felt when God sent him this experience. And he said, Why hast thou set me contrary to thee, so that I am grievous and burdensome to myself? For by means of this pure light, the soul now sees its impurity clearly, although darkly, and knows clearly that it is unworthy of God or of any creature. And what gives it most pain is that it thinks that it will never be worthy and that its good things are all over for it. This is caused by the profound immersion of its spirit in the knowledge and realization of its evils and miseries. For this divine and dark light now reveals them all to the eye that it may see clearly how in its own strength it can never have aught else. In this sense, we may understand that passage from David, which says, For iniquity thou hast corrected man, 
and hast made his soul to be undone and consumed. He wastes away as the spider. The second way in which the soul suffers pain is by reason of its weakness, natural, moral, and spiritual. For when this divine contemplation assails the soul with a certain force in order to strengthen it and subdue it, it suffers such pain in its weakness that it nearly swoons away. This is especially so at certain times when it's assailed with somewhat greater force for sense and spirit, as if beneath some immense and dark load are in such great pain and agony that the soul would find advantage and relief in death. This has been experienced by the prophet Job when he said, I desire not that he should have intercourse with me in great strength, lest he oppress me with the weight of his greatness. Beneath the power of this oppression and weight, the soul feels itself so far from being favored that it thinks, and correctly so, that even that wherein it was wont to find some help has vanished with everything else, and that there is none who has pity upon it. To this effect, Job says likewise, Have pity upon me, have pity upon me. At least ye my friends, because the hand of the Lord has touched me. A thing of great wonder and pity is that the soul's weakness and impurity now be so great that though the hand of God is of itself so light and gentle, the soul should now feel it to be so heavy and so contrary. Though it neither weighs it down nor rests upon it, but only touches it, and that mercifully, since he does this in order to grant the soul favors and not to chastise it. Thank you for joining me today. The peace of Christ be with you.